Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning. Looking forward to the study of God's Word with you today. And as we think about a brand new series uh, that we're preaching here called Hope for Dark Days, I invite you to turn to the book of Habakkuk. Now, uh, that's not a book that probably you have uh, commonly... Well, good morning. Looking forward to the study of God's Word with you today. And as we think about a brand new series uh, that we're preaching here called Hope for Dark Days, I invite you to turn to the book of Habakkuk. Now, uh, that's not a book that probably you have uh, commonly studied before. It's actually uh, tucked in the middle of what we call the minor prophets. Uh, they're not minor because they're unimportant, uh, but because of uh, the short nature of what many of them are actually doing. And, uh, and this morning, uh, we begin a brand new series through this particular book, the book of Habakkuk. And so why? Why study the book of Habakkuk? Well, it's an ancient book. Uh, it's over 2,500 years old since, it, since it's been written, but it has such a modern, relevant message for us uh, that is uh, important for us today and the application of today. When you think about all the current events that are going on, this is a book that we need to understand. This is a book that with the message we need to grasp and have together. As we walk through the uncertainty of this global pandemic and how it has impacted us in so many different ways, uh, many times we think of these as dark days. They're dark because they're not what, what we were experiencing before, which would seemingly be, have been so much better. And so as we think about the, the difficulties of right now and the dark days that we are in at the moment, we need a message from God to, for how to live out in these kinds of times. And so that's what we find in the book of Habakkuk. Not only for, it's not only for right now though, but it's for the future. Uh, the reality is we may face some darker days in the, in the future. There may be some events that happen in our lives personally or even corporately that cause us to, to really wonder what is going on. And so we, we come to this particular book uh, to study it because the author Habakkuk is completely confused by God. He even begins to question God and his plans. I mean, is that possibly you right now? Or has that happened in the past in your life? How should we handle moments where life experience is not matching what we have been told uh, God does and, 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 and when he seems to be less than what we understand uh, the teaching of him to be? When my experience and my theology has a gap, when I feel like my experience isn't living up to what uh, the, the teaching of the Word of God says, how do I wrestle with that? Well, today we begin uh, a message called Embracing Dark Days. And let me read to you uh, the first 11 verses of this particular book uh, so that we can understand or, or begin to grasp what is being said here. So look in your Bibles with me. Habakkuk chapter 1, it says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? 
or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Then God answers, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. We begin the study of this book, and we're going to study the whole book because I believe it's so important to understand the message of each section in the context of seeing all uh, that the message is actually being given. And so let me just introduce this book to you a little bit further. Uh, Habakkuk is the man who actually wrote this book. Uh, he was a prophet of God. He, normally, prophets would speak, uh, would speak uh, for God to God's people. But Habakkuk is different. Uh, what we see is that Habakkuk is, is actually functioning at a time when the nation of Israel, the Israelite nation who came out of Egypt and took the promised land and uh, there was harmony, are now divided. And so you see this map here, Israel's divided. In the north, it, it's the kingdom of Israel. In the south, it's the kingdom of Judah. This is the time that Habakkuk is living when the kingdom is divided. And he's a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who functioned during the time uh, of Josiah's son's uh, rule. Really, it's at the end of the nation of Israel as a whole. It's the end of the Old Testament, if we were to read the historical books in 2 Chronicles. What we see here is that Habakkuk is different than just giving a prophecy, a word from God. Actually, it's God, not God speaking to Habakkuk, but Habakkuk having a dialogue with God, and he's recording what he, hear, what he heard. It's more like a journal entry than like a thus as the Lord type of message from God. And in that, it becomes what we are going to learn is a lament. A lament is a complaint to draw God's attention to an issue and to demand action. About a third of the psalm, psalms are laments. The book of Lamentations as a whole is a lament. Many other places in Scripture we see this kind of interaction with God, this, this complaint that draws His attention and calls Him to action. So historically at this time, there's three main powers that are, ha that are, that are happening, and Judah is just a tiny little country smashed in between these major powers. Uh, we, we see that, first of all, um, on this map, the, the, the empire of Assyria has come and they've conquered all this part of the world. Uh, you see all the colored area, that's their empire. And they've taken the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. They, they've conquered Israel and they removed the people from the land. And then we see in the second map here, Assyria falls to the empire of Babylon. 
And the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, as they're called in this particular text, they conquer the Assyrians in 612 BC, and then in 586 BC, they remove the kingdom of, of Judah. Habakkuk is living at the time right before, that be, right before that happens, and he complains to God about the, uh, the Babylonians, or he's not complaining about the Babylonians or the Assyrians. He's actually most concerned about his country, the country of Judah. Judah, the southern kingdom, has had an up-and-down relationship with God. Unlike Israel, where they just had all bad kings and all bad leaders, and they were completely away from God, Judah has had moments of bright spots where they have turned back to God and stopped worshiping, worshiping idols. In fact, not long before Habakkuk, Josiah the king had actually instituted godly reforms because he had found the scriptures, dusted it off, read it, and then put it into action in the country, in, in the country of Judah. But his son, Jehoiakim, was evil and he reversed his dad's reforms. And so the, the country of Judah is increasingly wicked and they're forsaking God. There's conflict among them. There's violence that is prevalent. Corruption is all over the place. And the worship of idols is actually the main religion. And so that's why Habakkuk says in verse 4, So the law is paralyzed. The people are numb to God's law which is tragic because it's this covenant relationship that, that is established by the law. And so they aren't in relationship with God. And Habakkuk is crying out, God, these are dark days. This is not the way it should be. Aren't you concerned about this? Why don't you do something? What should I do when the days are dark? That's really what we're trying to get a hold of here today and in some of the coming messages that we have. When it seems like evil is winning, what should I do? Well, we're going to see here today that in this section, we see Habakkuk makes his complaint or his lament, and then God responds, and then we're going to see how that actually applies to us here today. So first, let's look at the first part um, here with Habakkuk and his complaint. And from this, I, I want you to write down, what should we do when the days are dark? Well, number one, we should talk to God in dark days. Habakkuk is really asking two main questions as he makes his complaint to God. He's asking, God, do you care? And he's asking also, are you in control? I mean, have you ever asked questions like that of God? It's likely that you have. If you've lived any amount of time and had a relationship with God, those are questions that are normal to have. That's not bad to have those questions. Most people assume that life is going to get better and better and better. They're optimistic about that, but that's, that's just not true. That's not how life often goes. There's hard times and there's pain and there's trauma in life, and that's regular, normal life. Actually, it's probably more abnormal that there's always good times because life is so full of the brokenness of the sin in this world. And so in difficult times, we ask questions like, what's going on, God? God, what are you doing? I mean, when we see the culture around us crumbling and, and just no moral values in, in those things, we ask, God, don't you care about this? When we see the politics and, the, and just the craziness and how, how, how upsetting that so many times is, we ask, God, uh, you say you have the heart of the king in your hand, but man, it sure doesn't look like it. It's terrible out there. 
When, when you look at things economically and you see all the struggle just to, just to have normal good, a normal good economy, you wonder, God, do you even really care about us? Are you taking care of us? That happens spiritually when we, it just seems like, God, you're, where are you? I, I, I'm not sensing you here. I, I, I lack your presence at the moment. And then just personally, when we go through difficult times of brokenness, we just cry out. We have these deep longings within us. Sometimes we're asking God for a long time about something and we don't get an answer. It might be uh, that you are single and you've desired to be married and you've been praying for God to bring a godly spouse into your life and that hasn't happened. And you're just wondering, God, do you care about me? Maybe you're in the midst of a difficult marriage and in the midst of all the trials and all the emotional uh, issues that are so many times brought up, you're asking, God, could you do something here? It doesn't seem like this is the way it's supposed to be. Why don't you do something? Maybe it's just because of a broken relationship or, or a divorce that you're questioning. Things, the whole world is turned upside down and you're wondering what's real and what's not. Maybe you have a child who's far from God and you've been praying for years and years and you haven't seen any positive sign of, of that child following after God again. Maybe it's just anxiety in your life. You're just constantly overwhelmed by it. Or depression. It's just dark. Maybe there's something that's happened in your life. Maybe it's job related where you've lost a job and you're struggling to make ends meet and you've been financially trying to dig yourself out of a hole for so long you just think that God isn't even interested in those things in your life anymore. It can be dark. It can, we can have many, many dark days. But I want you to notice something, that as Habakkuk here is crying out in these dark, dark moments that he has in verses 2 to 4, when, we are, when, he's, when he's saying, how long, God, how long do I have to ask for you to answer? How long do I have to point out that there's violence going on that you need to take care of? How long do you have me looking at these sinful things? How long before you change that? God, don't you see the law is paralyzed? There, there isn't a relationship among us anymore. Notice here that Habakkuk shows raw, honest expression of his frustration and his confusion. He doesn't hold back. Next week we're going to see that he even almost makes a direct accusation in the midst of this because he's so invested in going to God and say and asking God for help in this. Listen, when you're overwhelmed by dark days, be like Habakkuk. Talk to God. We're, we're, we're encouraging you, when the days are dark, Pray and don't give up praying. Habakkuk here, it's interesting, he has a lot on his heart. He's very concerned. There, there's all sorts of, uh, of difficulty and he's wondering. It's very dark for him at this moment. But notice here that Habakkuk does not complain to somebody else. He goes right to God. He, he doesn't start a blog and, and, and get a lot of people behind him in it. He doesn't tweet in anger. In anger. He doesn't vent on Instagram and, and just make it known how upset he actually is. This is a prayer. He addresses his complaints to God. And I want you to see here that he's talking to God. He's praying and it's very personal. Look at verse 2 again. It says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I have this verse on the screen. Notice what it says. It, oh Lord, but notice how the word Lord is written. Do you know what it means when the word Lord is all capitals like this? 
Do you know that it means that this is talking about a unique name for God? It's, a, it's the symbol of, a, God has a lot of different lang- names, but when this kind in English, when it's L-O-R-D and it's capitalized, it's the unique name of God. It's, it's the covenant, intimate, personal name that God revealed to Moses for his people to know and to call him by. It's Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the Lord. So, Habakkuk is angry and he's frustrated and he's confused and he addresses these things to the Lord using his personal intimate name. What does that mean, God? God, I know that you care for me. I'm using your personal name. How long though are you going? Like we have this relationship. How long before you answer? Do you care? Like I know you care, but why aren't you getting involved in this? Are you good? I I know you're good. But what are you doing? This is really an expression of Habakkuk in faith. He's wrestling with God, but he's doing it faithfully. He's taking his request, his concerns to God. And friends, I want you to know that that you belong to a God who can handle all your emotions. He can handle the fullness of the depth of the concern of the complaint that is on your heart. And he wants you to call out to him. As you wrestle with dark days, if if there's a trauma that's in your life, if there's an emergency that is brewing, if there's something shocking that has just knocked you to the ground, you can go to God. You should go to God. And God can handle all of it. Talk to God in dark days. That's what we see Habakkuk doing here. This is how we embrace dark days, is that we we come to him. Listen, we can't avoid the dark days, but when they happen, we come and we talk to our personal God and we call out to him in his personal name and we say, God, I'm coming to you in prayer. Help. So I want you to just consider right now, just as point of application, what questions am I asking the Lord right now? What are the questions that are on your heart? What are the ones that are, that are so deep down there you haven't even given yourself really a chance to voice them to God? Or you're, you're not sure if you should voice them to God because of how deeply you feel about this and how concerning these things actually are to you. You're concerned about how, if God will, will respond because you know the emotion with what you would express them. What are the questions that you're asking, the, the, the deep down at the core of your soul questions that you're asking God? the frustrations, the complaints, the thing that you're tied in knots about, that you can't sleep at night because of, and that your muscles are just all tight and and you're just constantly anxious because of. Whatever those are, bring them to God. Don't hold them in. He can handle it. He can handle how you even uh, express them. Listen, I believe we should be respectful, but fully expressing with full honesty what we feel, the depths of all of that, because, because, listen, He already knows. He's God. He knows what's going on inside of you. And He wants you to express these things to Him because He wants the intimacy of that. He wants, He has a purpose even in having you express them in those ways to reveal himself to help you in those things but listen if you don't talk to God about it if you never pray if you never bring them to the Lord in your darkest days if you're if you're telling everybody but God 
you're doing it wrong. Habakkuk shows us that to, to wrestle faithfully with God is to speak the things of our heart in their fullness to him. We need to, in dark days, talk to God. So we see Habakkuk, Habakkuk's questions, but we also know that God has a response. Are, are you ready for the response of God? So how do we deal with dark days? Well, we need to secondly prepare to be amazed by God's response. God heard Habakkuk's complaint and he responded. Look at verse 5 with me again. Notice that the heading alerts us to the fact that this is God's answer. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God answers. After, after a long time where, where Habakkuk was crying out and asking God, how long, how long, God, will you answer? He finally answers. And notice the hope that comes from seeing that God answers our cries to him. Whatever the complaint that I have, I can cast them to God and he will listen and respond. That's what happened. I mean, this is so different than when maybe we're having a, a little bit of a conflict with somebody and, and they're complaining to us and they're complaining about us and, and, and we respond so many times. We try to avoid that. We try to shut the doors of that. And, and a lot of times what happens is we, we stonewall them. We, we give them the cold, sho cold shoulder where we, we just stop talking to them and kind of pout in our little quarter to make them show them that we're actually upset with them. And that's not how God responds to the complaint of Habakkuk. He, he addresses Habakkuk fully. He gives him the dignity of the full response, and he wants to do that for you as well. I think we struggle to believe this, that God will respond to us as well. We, we think, well, I'm not special. Habakkuk, this guy's special. There's a whole book of the Bible about him, so that's why God answered him. But, but I'm not like that. And so we, th we oftentimes be start believing the lie that God doesn't answer. But I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that you are an image bearer of God. And many of you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when you see those, the evidence of those things, you begin to realize because I'm an image bearer of God, God created me in his own likeness, in his image. Psalm 139 tells us that he knit you together and intimately knows you and he's numbered your days. Another scripture says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. You don't even know that, but he does. And he made you and he knows you and he's very aware of your situation. He cares for you in whatever the dark days are that you're facing and he's listening to you. Psalm 40 says that he bends his ear to you. Wow. I mean, you only bend your ear when you really need to hear something, right? And, and, and he's really interested to hear from you. He's bending his ear to hear from you in this way. And listen, if you, if that's true of every individual. If you don't even have a faith and belief in Jesus Christ yet, you're, you're still exploring and knowing that because you're an image bearer, God wants to hear from you. But listen, if, if he sent his son to pay the price of death for you, you're a special treasure to him. For sure, the redemption you have is proof that God very much wants to hear from you. 
But sometimes we wonder, wait, I know that's true in the Bible, but my experience, like I have an objection here. I keep crying out to God and all I'm getting is silence. What, what, what's going on there, pastor? And I would say, I, I don't know the fullness. I can't possibly know the fullness of what God is doing, but I know that he hears and I know that he will answer. Don't give up. God answers prayer. He promises to answer prayer. And listen, he loves to say yes to prayer. That's his favorite answer. That's the one he wants to say most often. Sometimes for our good, he says no to our prayers. And oftentimes there's a third response. It's wait. He says, not yet. I need to do something to help you. And I can only do it by causing you to have to wait for the request that you've made for you. I will answer, but wait. So we need to prepare. We need to prepare for the answer that he's not maybe yet given, but he's going to give. And we need to prepare because notice he says, I'm doing a work that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe. So in this story, in Habakkuk's story, this is what God says. And this is, this is astounding. This is amazing. This is, we have to be prepared to be amazed by God and be amazed by the fact that he does things in ways that you and I would never design. Notice what he says in verse 6 and 7. He says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And then in verses 8 to 11, he, he describes how nasty they are, how vile and wicked this particular culture and race happen to be. Habakkuk, we notice here, he says, God, uh, there's injustice in Judah. Why won't you answer? And God does answer and says, I have a plan and you're not going to like it you're not going to believe it and won't understand it the way that i'm going to deal with just the injustice of judah is by having an even more wicked and unjust chaldean empire conquer them and habakkuk's like wait what are you serious that, that i don't understand i that doesn't make sense which is exactly what God told him in verse 5, right? I'm going to tell you something you won't even believe. In verse 5, he says, look among the nations. Look at what I'm going to do. Uh, that's really one of the things that um, Habakkuk's been asking. In verse 3, he said, how long do I have to see all the sins and the iniquity? And then God's like, look, look at what I am doing. Uh, it's not going to make sense to you. I'm going to bring justice out of injustice. I'm going to bring salvation out of judgment. And in this, we see that God's responses to our prayer don't need to make sense to us. In fact, many times they don't. And that's why we're struggling in dark days. God, you've answered, but you didn't answer the way I wanted you to, or the way I expected you to, or the way I thought I knew you to be. I'm so confused. Now, we can kind of understand this if we think a little bit about toddlers and we think about little kids and when they're 
three and four and five years old and 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 toddlers uh, they they cry a lot i'm i'm actually pretty thankful for my kids being past the toddler stage because it seems like when they're little they they cry all the all the time and it's because they don't really understand what's going on and and as adults and as parents Sometimes we have to do things that cause that crying. Like when, when, when the child picks up that, that can of poison and, and, and begins to stick his hand in it, you rip it out of his hands and take it away. And you say, you can't have that. And the child cries and cries and cries. They don't understand that what they were just holding would kill them, but, but they, they, they want it. And so they, because they don't have an understanding of those things and how you've protected them in it, they, they cry out in that way. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he, the, the, the prophet Isaiah writes that God's ways are higher than our ways. And that we can't understand God's ways because He's God and, and I'm not. And so I'm not going to have an understanding of what all God does. And really in this we have to understand, don't judge God on your own understanding. Don't judge God on your own timeline. Don't judge God on the calendar that you put into place. We have no idea what God is up to in these things. I mean, even right now, in the pandemic, we have no idea really what God is doing. In economic strife, we can't see the good that God is actually working out in the midst of the pain that we're feeling in the moment. In political upheaval, we're just, just confusion and insecurity that happens, and we can't see God working out something for that. In my own pain, I, I'm hurting and I'm crying out, God, why is this pain still here? But I want to ask a question to, to really try to drive this into your, to your heart a little bit here today. Just, uh, am I willing to accept God's response even when I don't like it? Like when you pray and you cry out in dark days, God, how long till you answer? God, do you really care? God, are you in control? What if he gives you an answer? What if his response is one that you don't like and doesn't fit your little box and paradigm for what you thought was right? I mean, we see this happen in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. Paul cries out a number of times to remove a thorn in the flesh. We, we don't know what it is. We just get the metaphorical imagery of this thorn that is, is stabbing into his side. And he's asking, God, could you remove it? Can you take it out? And God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Like I'm going to allow this to weaken you because I'm going to show you something greater, my strength through the fact that you're going to continue to be weak in this matter. And that requires us to surrender. That required Paul to surrender. I can't make sense of it, but I'll trust you anyway, is what the person who surrenders to what God is doing says. God, this is amazing. This is not what I thought. I can't even get my head around it, but I'll trust you because I know that you're good. Not my will, but yours be done, is what the surrendered person says. The problem is we are toddlers. We're the ones that picking up the can of poison, trying to eat it, and God takes it away from us. And, and I think we're worse than toddlers sometimes, not just crying out. And God is saying, trust me, I'm protecting you. If you don't trust me, even if you don't understand it, you'll die. And we point at him and say, you're not good. 
We get angry with him and we, because we're not getting our own way and our temper tantrum fi filters over. I'm just not going to believe in that anymore. I'm not going to believe in you anymore till you do what I tell you to. And we're the five-year-old that doesn't know what's best. And God's the parent that protects and guides and can see further than we could ever see. Are we willing to accept God's response even if we don't like it? So that brings us to a third thing. Habakkuk complains and we learn we need to talk to God. We need to pray to him. And God answers and in a surprising way. And we learn we need to surrender to him and trust him in that. So we need to learn to embrace these dark days. Write this down. How do we handle dark days? How do we embrace dark days? Well, number three, embrace dark days by looking to Jesus. What do we do with this? What do we do with God's instruction to call out to him and to, to surrender to what he's doing. Well, I believe that we, we find this really in this study of lament. So many times we think that we learn best when things go well. But actually, the greatest teacher is when things are not going well, when, when there's problems, when there's failure. And, and so we, learned, we need to learn from the lament that Habakkuk is giving here. We need to learn to bring our complaint before the Lord. And notice, as Habakkuk does this here, he's not just expressing his painful emotions, he's also exercising faith in how he's doing it. He, he's, it reminds us and God of what is true. The lament here is following the pattern of most laments in the Bible where there is pain and then there's joy, where there's fear and then there's faith. And so in the first chapter, we see the pain and the fear. And as we go into chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, we're going to see the joy and the faith that we can have. Habakkuk shows us how to lament, which is why we need to follow his example here. Not just what he's saying, but what he's demonstrating and modeling for us. In fact, Habakkuk, the, the name in Hebrew means to embrace. Habakkuk's story shows that there's hope for us. No matter what you are facing, it's saying to us that no matter how hard the struggle, no matter how consistent and daily we have to fight for these things, that God does care for us and that he is in control. So where do we get the ability to trust God? Where do we get the ability to embrace God and his plan, even in the dark days? Like, how do we get to the spot where in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the complaint, and listen, we feel right about the complaining of it, we can come to the place of surrender and trust in God? Well, I believe we see it in the story of the Israelites who are being told that they're going to be conquered by the Chaldeans. You see, the Chaldeans take captive Israel. And they removed them to Babylon. At the end of the exile, most of the population stays in Diaspora. They stay in the cities in Babylon and around the empire of Babylon. Only some return to Israel. We, we see that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, where they rebuild the temple and they, they rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But most people stay in the cities that they were uh, taken captive to and, and are in every major city of the world. If you were in a fast-forward history, 500 years, what you would see is Jesus Christ is born in a major and comes to earth and, and, and he be, brings the gospel message. And the people who are most receptive to the gospel message, the New Testament records, it's not the Jews, 
It's not the Gentiles. It's a group of people called the God-fearers. They're the ones that overwhelmingly respond to the gospel. So when we see in Acts chapter 11 and 12 and 13, the mission going forward and the spread of the gospel beginning to happen, we see that Paul brings a missionary team to a city of Antioch, Poseidon, which is on the southern coast of, of what is now modern day Turkey. We see here that there are believers there present due to persecution. They've been scattered out of Jerusalem and there's some who have come there and they've shared the gospel with people who are there and people have responded. God-fearers have responded to the gospel message. So when Paul comes and he preaches that the biggest problem on the, is, is not the world around us, but the sin that's inside of us and that God has a plan to take care of that biggest plan, problem through Jesus Christ, that he sent his son, born in a manger, born as a man, fully God and man, to live a perfect life, that he would be able to fulfill all the law. And then that he died in our place as our substitute, and the wrath of God is poured out on him, so that he's raised to life, conquering that, that anybody who believes in that, by faith, gets forgiveness of their sins and freedom from sin, that they can live for Christ's righteousness. Paul, in the midst of preaching in that very city, quotes from, the, from a prophet in the Old Testament. And he quotes in Acts chapter 13, verse 41, he quotes Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And what Paul is saying in his message at that moment, what he's using the quoting of Habakkuk to show, is to say that God's plan was salvation out of judgment. That as Israel was judged and they were taken by Babylon into the world, that there would be salvation around the world from God-fearers who end up being in the city hundreds of years later. We see that there would be justice out of injustice as, he, as Habakkuk points to Jesus Christ. Habakkuk here in verse 5 is pointing forward to Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to do something that's going to astound you and amaze you and, and even be a little bit confusing. You're not going to understand it. I am going to send Jesus in weakness, not in power. And I'm going to send Jesus to be defeated on the cross, not in victory. And I'm going to send Jesus to suffer injustice so that we can be declared righteous. We can be justified. Jesus wrestles with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, not long ago, we were preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and we saw this, and he's, he's there in the garden, and he's pleading with God, is there any other way? But even in the midst of asking that, he surrenders and he trusts himself to God. He embraces God's plan that he will be put to death, and on the cross, God will forsake him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he, he's taking the sin of the world. God can't even look at it there at that moment. And it seems like it's done. It's over. But God specializes in life. How could God bring any good from the son's death? He brings life to the whole world. He, he allowed his son to be put to death. But because he specializes in life, he raised his son from the dead to, to life so that all those who put their trust in him have eternal life through his payment of our sins there at that moment. In Antioch, Poseidon, we see a city full of God-fearers because of the Chaldeans. 
and, and the Chaldeans who conquered Judah and took them out into their country. And, and then they were conquered by the empire of the Persians. And, and then the Greeks conquered the Persian and, and created a common language so that everybody could hear in one language the gospel message. And then Rome conquered the Greeks and there was this Pax Romana, this, this worldwide peace of sorts and, and roads that allowed people to travel and, and take the gospel forward. And the gospel spreads in this way in a manner that's unheard of so that even today we are the benefactors of the fact that the people in Habakkuk's time were going to hear a message that they did not expect. But if they surrendered and they trusted God, that God's plan here would, would one day reap a reward that would be unseen in any other way. Could Habakkuk have seen it at that moment? Could he have understood it right there? Of course not. And that's why God says, I'm doing a work in your days you would not believe if I told you. You're not going to believe it. No, you can't believe it. Listen, the, the days are dark because we can't see through to the other side. But it, we can trust God in the midst of that darkness. If we would believe him right here, I'm going to do a work you won't believe. I, I'm going to get to that place where it's not dark any longer. You're going to have to call out to me and trust me and surrender yourself to me in this way. Really, it's a reminder that God is at work. Habakkuk at the beginning wonders, God, are you even hearing me? Are you even in control? And God is definitely at work. We can see it and understand it because we have the benefit of looking back through history. And so it should encourage us. It should give us the hope and the ability to, to trust him in this way because we know how this ends for Habakkuk and his generation. We can't possibly see in the midst of the dark. So we question and we complain and we shake our fist. And in the midst of our temper tantrum, God is still faithful to you and I. And so we can look to him. We can look to his provision through Jesus Christ. We can look to the cross of Jesus. We can see the empty tomb that shows that God is working and somehow is making all things new in the midst of that. So when we're facing dark days... Look to Jesus. I mean, when we're saying, I'm alone, God is saying, I'm always there. We can look to Jesus because when we say, I'm scared, he's saying, but I'm working. We, we can look to Jesus because when we're confused, I'm confused, God. God says, I'm in control. When we cry out, I'm in pain. God says, I have a purpose. Listen, write this down. There is a reason for everything that God is doing. Someday you will know it. Until then, trust Him. So consider this. How can embracing the gospel enable me to embrace God's care and control even on my darkest days. When I feel abandoned, how does embracing the idea that Christ was abandoned on the cross by God so that he was forsaken to take the abandonment that I deserve, that God abandoned him instead of abandoning me, how does believing in that help me see that God is in, in control of all things and that he's caring for me right now in the midst of my dark day? And when I don't understand what's going on, 
How does embracing the idea that Jesus in the garden was crying out, God, is there any other way? I don't understand. Does it have to be this way? And how does then seeing that, that he's abandoned on the cross and he's forsaken there, he surely didn't understand at that moment. But because Jesus was in that place, that you and I have the ability to trust in him, that while we, while we don't always understand, our full trust is in that God has victory over all things. Listen, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust him. It won't always feel comfortable, but it's right and it's good. Let me point you to an old preacher who, who said it better than I could in a very short way. Listen to what Billy Graham said about Habakkuk and the message and how we trust God even now. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk, because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, he'll be there. What should we do when the days are dark? What, what is Habakkuk teaching us? When it seems like evil is winning, what should I do? We need to embrace the dark days. Listen, that doesn't mean we have to enjoy and love the darkness that's going around, but it's saying embrace like Habakkuk. Habakkuk prayed. He, he talked to God in dark days. Habakkuk surrendered himself. Listen, he, he said, God, that's a surprising answer, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to prepare myself to wrestle faithfully with that. We'll see more of that next week. And then he said, trust in Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. We don't understand all that's going on, but he is working all things out according to his will. We don't understand maybe in the moment, but we can trust him in that. We can call out to him and call on his name and ask him to work. When we're lost, when we're weary, when the storm is raging around us, Jesus never falters. Jesus never fails. Let's pray and ask him to plant that truth deep inside of us now. Heavenly Father, we need this message. We need help in dark days. God, it's easy to lose hope and forgive us, Lord, for ways that we have lost hope in you, where we have put more trust in ourselves or in things going on in the world than we have put our trust in you. God, forgive us that we have not prayed to you. We have maybe complained many other places, but we haven't brought it to you. Lord, forgive us for not surrendering control of what the, we want to what your will is. Forgive us when we don't truly trust you. God, would you do a work in us right now to help us to embrace the way Habakkuk did through prayer and surrender in trust. Lord, we don't have the full answer yet. We're only in the first part of the book. But Lord, would you continue to show us in these coming weeks? Would you grow our trust in you? Would you grow our hope in you? Lord, 
in any moment, now or in the future, that we feel lost, that we are just tired of the fight, that the storm is raging around us, remind us that you never falter, you never fail. Our trust and our hope is completely in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We studied before. It's actually uh, tucked in the middle of what we call the minor prophets. Uh, they're not minor because they're unimportant, uh, but because of uh, the short nature of what many of them are actually doing. And, uh, and this morning, uh, we begin a brand new series through this particular book, the book of Habakkuk. And so why? Why study the book of Habakkuk? Well, it's an ancient book. Uh, it's over 2,500 years old since, it, since it's been written, but it has such a modern, relevant message for us uh, that is uh, important for us today and the application of today. When you think about all the current events that are going on, this is a book that we need to understand. This is a book that with the message we need to grasp and have together. As we walk through the uncertainty of this global pandemic and how it has impacted us in so many different ways, uh, many times we think of these as dark days. They're dark because they're not what, what we were experiencing before, which would seemingly be, have been so much better. And so as we think about the, the difficulties of right now and the dark days that we are in at the moment, we need a message from God to, for how to live out in these kinds of times. And so that's what we find in the book of Habakkuk. Not only for, it's not only for right now though, but it's for the future. Uh, the reality is we may face some darker days in the, in the future. There may be some events that happen in our lives personally or even corporately that cause us to, to really wonder what is going on. And so we, we come to this particular book uh, to study it because the author Habakkuk is completely confused by God. He even begins to question God and his plans. I mean, is that possibly you right now? Or has that happened in the past in your life? How should we handle moments where life experience is not matching what we have been told uh, God does? And, 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 and when he seems to be less than what we understand uh, the teaching of him to be. When my experience and my theology has a gap, when I feel like my experience isn't living up to what uh, the, the teaching of the Word of God says, well, how do I wrestle with that? Well, today we begin uh, a message called Embracing Dark Days. And let me read to you uh, the first 11 verses of this particular book uh, so that we can understand or, or begin to grasp what is being said here. So look in your Bibles with me. Habakkuk chapter 1, it says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Then God answers, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. 
Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. We begin the study of this book, and we're going to study the whole book because I believe it's so important to understand the message of each section in the context of seeing all uh, that the message is actually being given. And so let me just introduce this book to you a little bit further. Uh, Habakkuk is the man who actually wrote this book. Uh, he was a prophet of God. He, normally, prophets would speak, uh, would speak uh, for God to God's people. But Habakkuk is different. Uh, what we see is that Habakkuk is, is actually functioning at a time when the nation of Israel, the Israelite nation who came out of Egypt and took the promised land and uh, there was harmony, are now divided. And so you see this map here, Israel's divided. In the north, it, it's the kingdom of Israel. In the south, it's the kingdom of Judah. This is the time that Habakkuk is living when the kingdom is divided. And he's a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who functioned during the time uh, of Josiah's son's uh, rule. Really, it's at the end of the nation of Israel as a whole. It's the end of the Old Testament if we were to read the historical books in 2 Chronicles. What we see here is that Habakkuk is different than just giving a prophecy, a word from God. Actually, it's God, not God speaking to Habakkuk, but Habakkuk having a dialogue with God, and he's recording what he, hear, what he heard. It's more like a journal entry than like a thus as the Lord type of message from God. And in that, it becomes what we are going to learn is a lament. A lament is a complaint to draw God's attention to an issue and to demand action. About a third of the psalm, psalms are laments. The book of Lamentations as a whole is a lament. Many other places in scripture we see this kind of interaction with God, this, this complaint that draws his attention and calls him to action. So historically at this time, there's three main powers that are, ha that, are that are happening and Judah is just a tiny little country smashed in between these major powers. Uh, we, we see that, first of all, um, on this map, the, the, the empire of Assyria has come and they've conquered all this part of the world. Uh, you see all the colored area, that's their empire, and they've taken the northern kingdom of Israel. In 722 BC, they, they've conquered Israel and they removed the people from the land. And then we see in the second map here, Assyria falls to the empire of Babylon. And the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, as they're called in this particular text, they conquer the Assyrians in 612 BC, and then in 586 BC, they remove the kingdom of, of Judah. Habakkuk is living at the time right before, that, right before that happens, and he complains to God about the, uh, the Babylonians, or he's not complaining about the Babylonians or the Assyrians, he's actually most concerned about his country, the country of Judah. Judah, the southern kingdom, has had an up-and-down relationship with God. 
Uh, unlike Israel, where they just had all bad kings and all bad leaders and they were completely away from God, Judah has had moments of bright spots where they have turned back to God and stopped worshiping, worshiping idols. In fact, not long before Habakkuk, Josiah the king had actually instituted godly reforms because he had found the scriptures, dusted it off, read it, and then put it into action in the country, in, in the country of Judah. But his son, Jehoiakim, was evil and he reversed his dad's reforms. And so the, the country of Judah is increasingly wicked and they're forsaking God. There's conflict among them. There's violence that is prevalent. Corruption is all over the place. And the worship of idols is actually the main religion. And so that's why Habakkuk says in verse 4, So the law is paralyzed. The people are numb to God's law which is tragic because it's this covenant relationship that, that is established by the law. And so they aren't in relationship with God. And Habakkuk is crying out, God, these are dark days. This is not the way it should be. Aren't you concerned about this? Why don't you do something? What should I do when the days are dark? That's really what we're trying to get a hold of here today and in some of the coming messages that we have. When it seems like evil is winning, what should I do? Well, we're going to see here today that in this section, we see Habakkuk makes his complaint or his lament, and then God responds, and then we're going to see how that actually applies to us here today. So first, let's look at the first part um, here with Habakkuk and his complaint. And from this, I want you to write down, what should we do when the days are dark? Well, number one, we should talk to God in dark days. Habakkuk is really asking two main questions as he makes his complaint to God. He's asking, God, do you care? And he's asking also, are you in control? I mean, have you ever asked questions like that of God? It's likely that you have. If you've lived any amount of time and had a relationship with God, those are questions that are normal to have. That's not bad to have those questions. Most people assume that life is going to get better and better and better. They're optimistic about that, but that's, that's just not true. That's not how life often goes. There's hard times and there's pain and there's trauma in life, and that's regular, normal life. Actually, it's probably more abnormal that there's always good times because life is so full of the brokenness of the sin in this world. And so in difficult times, we ask questions like, what's going on, God? God, what are you doing? I mean, when we see the culture around us crumbling and, and just no moral values in, in those things, we ask, God, don't you care about this? When we see the politics and, the, and just the craziness and how, how, how upsetting that so many times is, we ask, God, uh, you say you have the heart of the king in your hand, but man, it sure doesn't look like it. It's terrible out there. When you look at things economically and you see all the struggle just to, just to have normal good, a normal good economy, you wonder, God, do you even really care about us? Are you taking care of us? That happens spiritually when we, it just seems like, God, where are you? I, I, it, I'm not sensing you here. I, I, I lack your presence at the moment. And then just personally, when we go through difficult times of brokenness, we just cry out. We have these deep longings within us. Sometimes we're asking God for a long time about something and we don't get an answer. 
It might be uh, that you are single and you've desired to be married and you've been praying for God to bring a godly spouse into your life and that hasn't happened. And you're just wondering, God, do you care about me? Maybe you're in the midst of a difficult marriage and in the midst of all the trials and all the emotional uh, issues that are so many times brought up, you're asking God, could you do something here? It doesn't seem like this is the way it's supposed to be. Why don't you do something? Maybe it's just because of a broken relationship or, or a divorce that you're questioning. Things, the whole world is turned upside down and you're wondering what's real and what's not. Maybe you have a child who's far from God and you've been praying for years and years and you haven't seen any positive sign of, of that child following after God again. Maybe it's just anxiety in your life. You're just constantly overwhelmed by it. Or depression is just dark. Maybe there's something that's happened in your life. Maybe it's job related where you've lost a job and you're struggling to make ends meet and you've been financially trying to dig yourself out of a hole for so long you just think that God isn't even interested in those things in your life anymore. It can be dark. It can, we can have many, many dark days. But I want you to notice something, that as Habakkuk here is crying out in these dark, dark moments that he has in verses 2 to 4, when, we are, when, he's, when he's saying, how long, God, how long do I have to ask for you to answer? How long do I have to point out that there's violence going on that you need to take care of? How long do you have me looking at these sinful things? How long before you change that? God, don't you see the law is paralyzed? There, there isn't a relationship among us anymore. Notice here that Habakkuk shows raw, honest expression of his frustration and his confusion. He doesn't hold back. Next week we're going to see that he even almost makes a direct accusation in the midst of this because he's so invested in going to God and and asking God for help in this. Listen, when you're overwhelmed by dark days, be like Habakkuk. Talk to God. We're, we're, We're encouraging you, when the days are dark, Pray and don't give up praying. Habakkuk here, it's interesting, he has a lot on his heart. He's very concerned. There's all sorts of, uh, of difficulty and he's wondering. It's very dark for him at this moment. But notice here that Habakkuk does not complain to somebody else. He goes right to God. He, he doesn't start a blog and, and, and get a lot of people behind him in it. He doesn't tweet in anger. In anger. He doesn't vent on Instagram and, and just make it known how upset he actually is. This is a prayer. He addresses his complaints to God. And I want you to see here that he's talking to God. He's praying and it's very personal. Look at verse 2 again. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I have this verse on the screen. Notice what it says. O Lord, but notice how the word Lord is written. Do you know what it means when the word Lord is all capitals like this? Do you know that it means that this is talking about a unique name for God? It's it's the symbol of, uh, God has a lot of different names, but when this kind in English, when it's L-O-R-D and it's capitalized, it's the unique name of God. It's, It's the covenant, intimate, personal name that God revealed to Moses for his people to know and to call him by. It's Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the Lord. So, Habakkuk is angry and he's frustrated and he's confused and he addresses these things 
to the Lord using his personal intimate name. What does that mean, God? God, I know that you care for me. I'm using your personal name. How long, though, are you going? Like, we have this relationship. How long before you answer? Do you care? Like, I know you care, but why aren't you getting involved in this? Are you good? I I know you're good. But what are you doing? This is really an expression of Habakkuk in faith. He's wrestling with God, but he's doing it faithfully. He's taking his request, his concerns to God. And friends, I want you to know that you belong belong to a God who can handle all your emotions. He can handle the fullness of the depth of the concern of the complaint that is on your heart. And he wants you to call out to him. As you wrestle with dark days, if, if there's a trauma that's in your life, if there's an emergency that is brewing, if there's something shocking that has just knocked you to the ground, You can go to God. You should go to God. And God can handle all of it. Talk to God in dark days. That's what we see Habakkuk doing here. This is how we embrace dark days, is that we we come to Him. Listen, we can't avoid the dark days, but when they happen, we come and we talk to our personal God and we call out to Him in His personal name and we say, God, I'm coming to you in prayer. Help! So I want you to just consider right now, just as point of application, what questions am I asking the Lord right now? What are the questions that are on your heart? What are the ones that are, that are so deep down there you haven't even given yourself really a chance to voice them to God? Or you're, you're not sure if you should voice them to God because of how deeply you feel about this and how concerning these things actually are to you. You're concerned about how, if God will, will respond because you know the emotion with what you would express them. What are the questions that you're asking, the, the, the deep down at the core of your soul questions that you're asking God? The frustrations, the complaints, the thing that you're tied in knots about, that you can't sleep at night because of, and that your muscles are just all tight and, and, and you're just constantly anxious because of. Whatever those are, bring them to God. Don't hold them in. He can handle it. He can handle how you even uh, express them. Listen, I believe we should be respectful, but fully expressing with full honesty what we feel, the depths of all of that, because, because, listen, He already knows. He's God. He knows what's going on inside of you. And He wants you to express these things to Him because He wants the intimacy of that. He wants, He has a purpose even in having you express them in those ways to reveal Himself, to help you in those things. But listen, if you don't talk to God about it, if you never pray, if you never bring them to the Lord in your darkest days, if you're, if you're telling everybody but God, you're doing it wrong. Habakkuk shows us to, to wrestle faithfully with God is to speak the things of our heart in their fullness to Him. We need to, in dark days, talk to God. So we see Habakkuk, Habakkuk's questions, but we also know that God has a response. Are, are you ready for the response of God? So how do we deal with dark days? Well, we need to, secondly, prepare to be amazed by God's response. God heard Habakkuk's complaint 
And he responded. Look at verse 5 with me again. Notice that the heading alerts us to the fact that this is God's answer. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God answers. After, after a long time where, where Habakkuk was crying out and asking God, how long, how long, God, will you answer? He finally answers. And notice the hope that comes from seeing that God answers our cries to him. Whatever the complaint that I have, I can cast them to God and he will listen and respond. That's what happened. I mean, this is so different than when maybe we're having a, a little bit of a conflict with somebody and, and they're complaining to us and they're complaining about us and, and, and we respond so many times. We try to avoid that. We try to shut the doors of that. And, and a lot of times what happens is we, we stonewall them. We, we give them the cold, sho- cold shoulder where we, we just stop talking to them and kind of pout in our little quarter to make them show them that we're actually upset with them. And that's not how God responds to the complaint of Habakkuk. He, he addresses Habakkuk fully. He gives him the dignity of the full response, and he wants to do that for you as well. I think we struggle to believe this, that God will respond to us as well. We, we think, well, I'm not special. Habakkuk, this guy's special. There's a whole book of the Bible about him, so that's why God answered him. But, but I'm not like that. And so we, th- we oftentimes be- start believing the lie that God doesn't answer. But I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that you are an image bearer of God. And many of you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when you see those, the evidence of those things, you begin to realize because I'm an image bearer of God, God created me in his own likeness, in his image. Psalm 139 tells us that he knit you together and intimately knows you and he's numbered your days. Another scripture says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. You don't even know that, but he does. And he made you and he knows you and he's very aware of your situation. He cares for you in whatever the dark days are that you're facing and he's listening to you. Psalm 40 says that he bends his ear to you. Wow. I mean, you only bend your ear when you really need to hear something, right? And, and, and he's really interested to hear from you. He's bending his ear to hear from you in this way. And listen, if you, if that's true of every individual. If you don't even have a faith and belief in Jesus Christ yet, you're, you're still exploring and knowing that because you're an image bearer, God wants to hear from you. But listen, if, if he sent his son to pay the price of death for you, you're a special treasure to him. For sure, the redemption you have is proof that God very much wants to hear from you. But sometimes we wonder, wait, I know that's true in the Bible, but my experience, like I have an objection here. I keep crying out to God and all I'm getting is silence. What, what, what's going on there, pastor? And... I would say, I I don't know the fullness. I can't possibly know the fullness of what God is doing, but I know that he hears and I know that he will answer. Don't give up. God answers prayer. 
He promises to answer prayer. And listen, he loves to say yes to prayer. That's his favorite answer. That's the one he wants to say most often. Sometimes for our good, he says no to our prayers. And oftentimes there's a third response. It's wait. He says, not yet. I need to do something to help you, and I can only do it by causing you to have to wait for the request that you've made for you. I will answer, but wait. So we need to prepare. We need to prepare for the answer that he's not maybe yet given, but he's going to give. And we need to prepare because, notice he says, I'm doing a work that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe. So in this story, in Habakkuk's story, this is what God says. And this is, this is astounding. This is amazing. This is, we have to be prepared to be amazed by God and be amazed by the fact that He does things in ways that you and I would never design. Notice what He says in verse 6 and 7. He says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And then in verses 8 to 11, he he describes how nasty they are, how vile and wicked this particular culture and race happened to be. Habakkuk, we notice here, he says, God, uh, there's injustice in Judah. Why won't you answer? And God does answer and says, I have a plan and you're not going to like it you're not going to believe it and won't understand it the way that i'm going to deal with just the injustice of judah is by having an even more wicked and unjust chaldean empire conquer them and habakkuk's like wait what are you serious that, that i don't understand i that doesn't make sense which is exactly what God told him in verse 5, right? I'm going to tell you something you won't even believe. In verse 5, he says, look among the nations. Look at what I'm going to do. That's really one of the things that um, Habakkuk's been asking. In verse 3, he said, how long do I have to see all the sins and the iniquity? And then God's like, look, look at what I am doing. It's not going to make sense to you. I'm going to bring justice out of injustice. I'm going to bring salvation out of judgment. And in this, we see that God's responses to our prayer don't need to make sense to us. In fact, many times they don't. And that's why we're struggling in dark days. God, you've answered, but you didn't answer the way I wanted you to, or the way I expected you to, or the way I thought I knew you to be. I'm so confused. Now, we can kind of understand this if we think a little bit about toddlers and we think about little kids and when they're three and four and five years old and 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 toddlers uh, they they cry a lot i'm i'm actually pretty thankful for my kids being past the toddler stage because it seems like when they're little they they cry all the all the time and it's because they don't really understand what's going on and and as adults and as parents Sometimes we have to do things that cause that crying. Like when, when, when the child picks up that, that can of poison and, and, and begins to stick his hand in it, you rip it out of his hands and take it away. And you say, you can't have that. And the child cries and cries and cries. They don't understand that what they were just holding would kill them, but, but they, they, they want it. And so they, because they don't have an understanding of those things and how you've protected them in it, they, they cry out in that way. 
In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he, the, the, the prophet Isaiah writes that God's ways are higher than our ways. And that we can't understand God's ways because He's God and, and I'm not. And so I'm not going to have an understanding of what all God does. And really in this we have to understand, don't judge God on your own understanding. Don't judge God on your own timeline. Don't judge God on the calendar that you put into place. We have no idea what God is up to in these things. I mean, even right now, in the pandemic, we have no idea really what God is doing. In economic strife, we can't see the good that God is actually working out in the midst of the pain that we're feeling in the moment. In political upheaval, we're just, just confusion and insecurity that happens and we can't see God working out something for that. In my own pain, I, I'm hurting and I'm crying out, God, why is this pain still here? But I want to ask a question to, to really try to drive this into your, to your heart a little bit here today. Just, uh, am I willing to accept God's response even when I don't like it? Like when you pray and you cry out in dark days, God, how long till you answer? God, do you really care? God, are you in control? What if he gives you an answer? What if his response is one that you don't like? and doesn't fit your little box and paradigm for what you thought was right. I mean, we see this happen in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. Paul cries out a number of times to remove a thorn in the flesh. We, we don't know what it is. We just get the metaphorical imagery of this thorn that is, is stabbing into his side. And he's asking, God, could you remove it? Can you take it out? And God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Like I'm going to allow this to weaken you because I'm going to show you something greater. My strength through the fact that you're going to continue to be weak in this matter. And that requires us to surrender. That we required Paul to surrender. I can't make sense of it, but I'll trust you anyway, is what the person who surrenders to what God is doing says. God, this is amazing. This is not what I thought. I can't even get my head around it, but I'll trust you because I know that you're good. Not my will, but yours be done, is what the surrendered person says. The problem is we are toddlers. We're the ones that picking up the pan, can of poison, trying to eat it, and God takes it away from us. And, and I think we're worse than toddlers sometimes, not just crying out. And God is saying, trust me, I'm protecting you. If you don't trust me, even if you don't understand it, you'll die. And we point at him and say, you're not good. We get angry with him and we, because we're not getting our own way and our temper tantrum filters over. I'm just not going to believe in that anymore. I'm not going to believe in you anymore until you do what I tell you to. And we're the five-year-old that doesn't know what's best. And God's the parent that protects and guides and can see further than we could ever see. Are we willing to accept God's response even if we don't like it? So that brings us to a third thing. Habakkuk complains and we learn we need to talk to God. We need to pray to him. And God answers and in a surprising way. And we learn we need to surrender to him and trust him in that. So we need to learn to embrace these dark days. Write this down. How do we handle dark days? How do we embrace dark days? Well, number three, embrace dark days by looking to Jesus. What do we do with this? What do we do with God's 
instruction to call out to him and to, to surrender to what he's doing. Well, I believe that we, we find this really in this study of lament. So many times we think that we learn best when things go well. But actually, the greatest teacher is when things are not going well when there's problems, when there's failure. And, and so we, learned, we need to learn from the lament that Habakkuk is giving here. We need to learn to bring our complaint before the Lord. And notice, as Habakkuk does this here, he's not just expressing his painful emotions, he's also exercising faith in how he's doing it. He, he's, it reminds us and God of what is true. The lament here is following the pattern of most laments in the Bible where there is pain and then there's joy, where there's fear and then there's faith. And so in the first chapter, we see the pain and the fear. And as we go into chapter three, at the end of chapter three, we're going to see the joy and the faith that we can have. Habakkuk shows us how to lament, which is why we need to follow his example here, not just what he's saying, but what he's demonstrating and modeling for us. In fact, Habakkuk, the, the name in Hebrew means to embrace. Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's story shows that there's hope for us. No matter what you are facing, it, it's saying to us that no matter how hard the struggle, no matter how consistent and daily we have to fight for these things, that God does care for us and that he is in control. So where do we get the ability to trust God, where do we get the ability to embrace God and his plan, even in the dark days? Like, how do we get to the spot where in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the complaint, and listen, we feel right about the complaining of it, we can come to the place of surrender and trust in God? Well, I believe we see it in the story of the Israelites who are being told that they're going to be conquered by the Chaldeans. You see, the Chaldeans take captive Israel and they removed them to Babylon. At the end of the exile, most of the population stays in Diaspora. They stay in the cities in Babylon and around the empire of Babylon. Only some return to Israel. We, we see that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah where they rebuild the temple and they, they rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But most people stay in the cities that they were uh, taken captive to and, and are in every major city of the world. If you were in a fast forward history, 500 years, what you would see is Jesus Christ is born in a major and comes to earth and, and, and he be, brings the gospel message. And the people who are most receptive to the gospel message, the New Testament records, it's not the Jews, it's not the Gentiles, it's a group of people called the God-fearers. They're the ones that overwhelmingly respond to the gospel. So when we see in Acts chapter 11 and 12 and 13, the mission going forward and the spread of the gospel beginning to happen, we see that Paul brings a missionary team to a city of Antioch, Poseidon, which is on the southern coast of, of what is now modern day Turkey. We see here that there are believers there present due to persecution. They've been scattered out of Jerusalem and there's some who have come there and they've shared the gospel with people who are there and people have responded. God-fearers have responded to the gospel message. So when Paul comes and he preaches that the biggest problem on the, is, is not the world around us, but the sin that's inside of us and that God has a plan to take care of that biggest plan, problem, through Jesus Christ, 
that he sent his son, born in a manger, born as a man, fully God and man, to live a perfect life, that he would be able to fulfill all the law. And then that he died in our place as our substitute, and the wrath of God is poured out on him, so that he's raised to life, conquering that, that anybody who believes in that, by faith, gets forgiveness of their sins and freedom from sin, that they can live for Christ's righteousness. Paul, in the midst of preaching in that very city, quotes from, the, from a prophet in the Old Testament. And he quotes in Acts chapter 13, verse 41, he quotes Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And what Paul is saying in his message at that moment, what he's using the quoting of Habakkuk to show, is to say that God's plan was salvation out of judgment. That as Israel was judged and they were taken by Babylon into the world, that there would be salvation around the world from God-fearers who end up being in the city hundreds of years later. We see that there would be justice out of injustice as, he, as Habakkuk points to Jesus Christ. Habakkuk here in verse 5 is pointing forward to Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to do something that's going to astound you and amaze you and, and even be a little bit confusing. You're not going to understand it. I am going to send Jesus in weakness, not in power. And I'm going to send Jesus to be defeated on the cross, not in victory. And I'm going to send Jesus to suffer injustice so that we can be declared righteous. We can be justified. Jesus wrestles with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, not long ago, we were preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and we saw this, and he's, he's there in the garden, and he's pleading with God, is there any other way? But even in the midst of asking that, he surrenders and he trusts himself to God. He embraces God's plan that he will be put to death, and on the cross, God will forsake him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he, he's taking the sin of the world. God can't even look at it there at that moment. And it seems like it's done. It's over. But God specializes in life. How could God bring any good from the son's death? He brings life to the whole world. He, he allowed his son to be put to death, but because he specializes in life, he raised his son from the dead to, to life so that all those who put their trust in him have eternal life through his payment of our sins there at that moment. In Antioch, Poseidon, we see a city full of God-fearers because of the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans who conquered Judah and took them out into their country. And then they were conquered by the empire of the Persians. And then the Greeks conquered the Persian and created a common language so that everybody could hear in one language the gospel message. And then Rome conquered the Greeks. And there was this Pax Romana, this, this worldwide peace of sorts and, and roads that allowed people to travel and, and take the gospel forward. And the gospel spreads in this way in a manner that's unheard of, so that even today we are the benefactors of the fact that the people in Habakkuk's time were going to hear a message that they did not expect. But if they surrendered and they trusted God, that God's plan here would, would one day reap a reward that would be unseen in any other way. Could Habakkuk have seen it at that moment? 
Could he have understood it right there? Of course not. And that's why God says, I'm doing a work in your days you would not believe if I told you. You're not going to believe it. No, you can't believe it. Listen, the, the days are dark because we can't see through to the other side. But we can trust God in the midst of that darkness. If we would believe him right here, I'm going to do a work you won't believe. I'm going to get to that place where it's not dark any longer. You're going to have to call out to me and trust me and surrender yourself to me in this way. Really, it's a reminder that God is at work. Habakkuk at the beginning wonders, God, are you even hearing me? Are you even in control? And God is definitely at work. We can see it and understand it because we have the benefit of looking back through history. And so it should encourage us. It should give us the hope and the ability to to trust him in this way because we know how this ends for Habakkuk and his generation. We can't possibly see in the midst of the dark So we question and we complain and we shake our fist. And in the midst of our temper tantrum, God is still faithful to you and I. And so we can look to him. We can look to his provision through Jesus Christ. We can look to the cross of Jesus. We can see the empty tomb that shows that God is working and somehow is making all things new in the midst of that. So when we're facing dark days, look to Jesus. I mean, when we're saying, I'm alone, God is saying, I'm always there. We can look to Jesus because when we say, I'm scared, he's saying, but I'm working. We we can look to Jesus because when we're confused, I'm confused, God. God says, I'm in control. When we cry out, I'm in pain, God says, I have a purpose. Listen, write this down. There is a reason for everything that God is doing. Someday you will know it. Until then, trust Him. So consider this. How can embracing the gospel enable me to embrace God's care and control even on my darkest days? When I feel abandoned... How does embracing the idea that Christ was abandoned on the cross by God so that he was forsaken to take the abandonment that I deserve, that God abandoned him instead of abandoning me? How does believing in that help me see that God is in in control of all things and that he's caring for me right now in the midst of my dark day? And when I don't understand what's going on, How does embracing the idea that Jesus in the garden was crying out, God, is there any other way? I don't understand. Does it have to be this way? And how does then seeing that that he's abandoned on the cross and he's forsaken there, he surely didn't understand at that moment. But because Jesus was in that place, that you and I have the ability to trust in Him, that while we, while we don't always understand, our full trust is in that God has victory over all things. Listen, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust Him. It won't always feel comfortable, but it's right and it's good. Let me point you to an old preacher who, who said it better than I could in a very short way. Listen to what Billy Graham said about Habakkuk and the message and how we trust God even now. 
What should we do when the days are dark? What, what is Habakkuk t- teaching us? When it seems like evil is winning, what should I do? We need to embrace the dark days. Listen, that doesn't mean we have to enjoy and love the dark this, that's going around, but it's saying embrace like Habakkuk. Habakkuk prayed. He, he talked to God in dark days. Habakkuk surrendered himself. Listen, he, he said, God, that's a surprising answer, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to prepare myself to wrestle faithfully with that. We'll see more of that next week. And then he said, trust in Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. We don't understand all that's going on, but he is working all things out according to his will. We don't understand maybe in the moment, but we can trust him in that. We can call out to him and call on his name and ask him to work. When we're lost, when we're weary, when the storm is raging around us, Jesus never falters. Jesus never fails. Let's pray and ask him to plant that truth deep inside of us now. Heavenly Father, we need this message. We need help in dark days. God, it's easy to lose hope And forgive us, Lord, for ways that we have lost hope in you, where we have put more trust in ourselves or in things going on in the world than we have put our trust in you. God, forgive us that we have not prayed to you. We have maybe complained many other places, but we haven't brought it to you. Lord, forgive us for not surrendering control of what we want to what your will is. Forgive us when we don't truly trust you. God, would you do a work in us right now to help us to embrace the way Habakkuk did, through prayer and surrender in trust. Lord, we don't have the full answer yet. We're only in the first part of the book, but Lord, would you continue to show us in these coming weeks? Would you grow our trust in you? Would you grow our hope in you? Lord, in any moment, now or in the future, that we feel lost, that we are just tired of the fight, that the storm is raging around us. Remind us that you never falter, you never fail. Our trust and our hope is completely in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.